Welcome to episode 289 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, someone who should have been on the show ages ago, someone who I was on the show of, that would be Renee Pinnell, the founder and designer of Artisan. Artisan is... um, it's it's a uh, it started out as part of uh, Kaleidoscope, which is Renee's other company. We're going to get into all of that, but Artisan is artist grants funded and created by your community. So the whole thing is this lovely idea of everyone pooling together their money in and then voting on which projects are going to get that money. Really simple. <laughs> really straightforward and the best part is is that over the years uh because of all of the experience that uh renee has had uh on sort of the the xr beat of the film festival circuit there are a lot of incredible mentors and festivals and just artists who know about this um community who know about this tool and it's very exciting and you're going to get the whole backstory of it here in the episode. Before we jump into that, it is a very busy weekend. Indeed, this is coming out Thursday night for all kinds of reasons. So let's give you a bit of a rundown of what's happening out here in our corner of the immersive metaverse. So uh, one, uh, there's a there's actually a, a conference happening in Germany right now called Hope, which is all about the transmedia stage, and uh, I'm gonna like be talking there tomorrow morning, which is leaving me kind of like crazed, like I gotta give a talk on top of everything else we're doing. So if you happen to be coming to that, hello, uh, or you happen to be listening to this after that, hello. Hopefully, I did a good job. We'll see if I'm capable of that. Um, tonight, Thursday, as I'm recording this, we of course have our weekly clubhouse show with our friend Kent by from the voices of VR podcast. This week's topic is immersive moments that blew your mind. So just a real free form conversation with folks always with the idea of the everything immersive room in clubhouse is we're trying to de silo immersive as much as possible. We'll get into a little bit more about that in a second. Of course, we've got our spring fling. It's been one year. Uh, This Saturday will be one year to the day from when we were supposed to have the Here Festival and Summit. The pandemic prevented us from doing that. So we're marking the anniversary with a party. I don't know why I decided. I do know why I decided to do it this way. But then constantly I was like, why are you doing it this way? Nevertheless, we have this huge... It's, I mean, huge is huge is a bit much. We've got a very robust, we've got a very good lineup. We have six panels slash salons happening Saturday on two different tracks. We have game night and clubhouse rooms and all kinds of shenanigans happening Saturday night. And then we come back on Sunday back into zoom back into discord and we've got um we've got a number of sessions um some of the sessions uh the the tickets are still available 
And I encourage you to go to herefest.com slash spring dash fling. Whenever you're listening to that this weekend, uh, there's still time uh, to jump in, take a look and see if there's something you want to go check out and buy a ticket. Uh, It's $5 for our Patreon backers, $10 for everybody else. But we do have a few sessions that are going to be open to the public, even on the Zoom. So we've got some clubhouse sessions that are going on. Um, we've got uh, one session. We got t- one session on Saturday, which is going to be hosted by uh, Jesse Damiani and David Ruzicka, uh, who come from two different worlds. Jesse's from like the AR VR world, and David's from the theme park and immersive theater world. And so, getting these two guys together and hopefully getting that mix of people. That's going to happen on Clubhouse. We're calling that one the 40-second law of immersion. You, too, will learn the secret of the 40-second law of immersion. Uh, That's going to be on Clubhouse at 5 o'clock on Saturday. We also have Can't Buy hosting a room. Right now, we're just calling it After Dark at 7 o'clock. These are all West Coast times because we're West Coast people. Um, That's not the only thing that's happening, though, that's going to be publicly accessible. So we have two sessions that are going to be on Zoom um, that are are very special. I got another Clubhouse thing to tell you about in a second. Um, in fact, we're gonna we're gonna go a Zoom, a Clubhouse, and then a Zoom, and it'll make it'll all make sense. It'll all make sense. Trust me on this one. So on Sunday, on Sunday we have a session. Uh, that is from uh, some of our friends in Denver. This is an intersectional safety and accessibility planning for immersive. It is a conversation about some open source standards that are being developed. So this is a listening session that's happening at nine o'clock in the morning. It is a Zoom event. It is open to all. Uh, you can find the links on the NoPro Discord. They, we've also put them on our Facebook God's willing, no one's going to crash because this is like, you know, a serious conversation that will hopefully lead to some serious open source tools for everyone to use on regarding these issues. So that is at 9 a.m. It's a listening session, 9 a.m. Pacific on Sunday. And even if you're not coming through for the rest of Spring Fling, if you're just like, ah, five bucks is too much or like, I don't want to spend ton dollars or whatever. But if this issue matters to you, uh we want you in it and it's on zoom which pretty much everyone can get access to all right so that's going on we also have on clubhouse uh, on friday at six o'clock in the extending reality club which is a much bigger club than the everything immersive club right now uh so thank you to joanna popper and the team over there for letting us borrow uh our friend carl Choi of Great Co. came to us earlier in the week, over the, over last weekend actually, and in the wake of uh, the shootings in Atlanta and asked if we would take part in uh, a series of events that he was putting together under the banner Stand With Asians. And I said, of course, Carl, whatever you want. There is kind of a, 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 a it's, a, it's like a don't go to work day happening on the 26th so we're marking that by not publishing anything that day which is why the podcast is coming out right now um so we can tell you about that (laughs) um and there's also going to be uh, a bunch of events here in la there's going to be like a kind of a car march thing happening there's going to be some live stream stuff happening all of which you can find at stand with asians uh you'll find the link in the show notes 
And uh, we've also helped put together this rooming clubhouse at six o'clock tomorrow, six o'clock on the 26th. If you're if you're not listening to this at night on the 25th, which you probably aren't. Um, and Carl's going to be uh, one of the guests in there. Uh, Michaela Ternaski Holland, who is uh, one of our stringers and our and our, our, our New York social media head. Uh, she has been doing stellar work on this and working on a whole bunch of this stuff. Uh, I, I, I tagged her in. Uh, I was like, Carl, meet Michaela. This is a good setup here. Uh, and Catherine's also going to be in there. Um, you know, I'll be floating around. Uh, just you know, listening, absorbing. The, the whole idea is to have a conversation about what can the immersive community do to address these systemic issues and how do they manifest there. So this is a brainstorming session. Uh, it's not the definitive conversation about these issues. It's intended to be the start. And we're going to continue that conversation on Saturday in Zoom, because we know not everyone has access to Clubhouse. We know it causes a lot of consternation when we do something in Clubhouse, but there's a lot of people who love it. So we're trying to reach out to that audience. But we also know that, you know, we don't we don't want our audience to live anywhere um, in particular, unless there's a space we can get everybody into and get everybody into Zoom. We can get everybody into Discord. And so on Saturday in Discord at four, nope, on Zoom at four o'clock, we're continuing that conversation, and those links are also available in our Discord, okay? So the link is in the Discord. The session is on Zoom. The long and the short of it, if you're not connected to our Discord, you really need to be connected to our Discord. It is, it is going to be our primary platform moving forward for communicating with everybody. It's where things begin, and everything else after that is going to be a tributary. That's the way of it from now on. Like I said, very big weekend, lots of sessions. Um, a, more stuff is being added to the game night. There's some unconference stuff that's going to get added. Just getting descriptions and plugging it in there. Um, you have, <laughs> you, if you had nothing to do this weekend, you have no excuses. We're doing stuff for you. So please, please come through. Like I said, $5 for backers, $10 for everybody else. The Stand With Asian session, it's going to be open to everybody, so you don't need a ticket. The Clubhouse stuff is open to everybody, you don't need a ticket. Intersectional Safety and Accessibility Panel for Immersive is open to everybody, you don't need a ticket. And um, like all, all the games and stuff, though, that's like a carnival. You need a ticket. Uh, so come through. All right. Ooh, that is a lot. That is a lot. Um, and what you're about to hear is a lot. Uh, artisan is such a critical part of the infrastructure at this point and is going to be even more of a critical part of the infrastructure going forward. Hopefully not just for immerse, the immersive arts, but for other art, artists as well. It's such a beautiful, beautiful model. You know, it, it is a different kind of crowdfunding. Speaking of crowdfunding, we do that. <laughs> no proscenium dot, mm, no, patreon.com slash no proscenium. I should also make it opersame.com slash Patreon, but I don't control our URL. But hey, that's here and there. So uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash nopersinium. Our latest backers are Easton Smith, Brett, and finally Nicole Smith, all of whom have jumped on. Uh, it's been a kind of a churn month. We're, we're still holding steady, uh, but we need to advance that. We need more people in, in the house. And our sustaining backers, as always, are Ari Hurstand, Brittany Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, 
Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. All right. That was a lot. Now for the interview with Renee. Let's go. Good morning if you're listening to this in the morning, if you're listening to this afternoon. Good morning. We're drinking coffee. I am here with Renee Pinnell, who is the founder and designer of Artisan, which um, has actually been around in, in a different form uh, for a while, but is, is undergoing this lovely transformation into um, something that, that can totally act as like an engine or a fuel cell for the creative community. Uh, and I wanted uh, Renee to share uh, the story of, of how we got here so far. So Renee, hey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. No, I'm excited. I uh, long time listener, first time guest. Uh, thrilled and, to be here. And that is my fault because. Uh, and I think maybe like once we tried and like couldn't like get the schedules to match, and that was like some time ago. But like. I interviewed you on on my my podcast, uh, you did, and yeah. and you're just an asshole, and you never turned over. <laughs> well, yeah, no, absolutely, you know. And then like, it's not like I it's not like I met you like right before the dark times began or anything like that. So, um, I met Renee at this amazing accelerator that uh, Kaleidoscope, which is uh, Renee's other company, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment because Artisan split off from Kaleidoscope. Um, also, you're the first person to ever call me an asshole on this show, but I always love it. It's like, yes, yes, this is what, this is what I live for. We're going to mix things up, Noah. It's going to get real, banter. real raw. I fucking love it. So um, <laughs> I'm made for banter in the morning. Great. Now everyone's going to be a judge me on the show, but I kind of love it. Um, it's like, oh, let's just, just, just go. Um, no, this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is puppies nipping at each other because um, it, was, it was Halloween weekend uh, 2016. Uh, and we, you know, before before the election, uh, in, in a different timeline, um, Oculus and Kaleidoscope put on this accelerator in downtown Los Angeles, and it was this brilliant collection of artists, um, you know, shepherding other artists. So you guys had brought together uh, folks from Third World Projects, Marshmallow Laser Feast, uh, Vinny DePonto was there, and uh, you know, uh, Sashka Unseld, uh, you know, of, you know, of, uh, at the time Oculus Story Studio. And of course, before they'd been at Pixar and, um, you know, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember her last name, uh, Eliza Spears. Um, oh, Eliza McNitt. McNitt. That's, that's right. That's right. Um, I nearly said that and I was going to like, I was like, if I get it wrong, uh, and she was one of the people in the accelerator, like Spears was an idea that was being discussed in that accelerator. And now, of course, it's Spheres, which has, you know, which, which got a whole bunch of attention at Sundance and I got, got funding. And it was all started right there. And I think one of the things that was brilliant in what, what you guys did there was, you know, you had brought, you know, Third Rail got brought in uh, to put on an immersive, uh, a physical immersive experience for everyone. And so all of these VR and XR creators were run through this bespoke immersive short uh, and just, just the, the, I loved that. And I loved it. Yeah, it was the, a lot of fun. Yeah. The, the approach and just, 
just the idea that we're going to like, you know, smash these worlds together is just all I live for all day long. Um, yeah. Well, the neat thing about that was the third rail productions, Zach Morris and his crew came in on like, I don't know, Friday and mm-hmm. they went to a prop shop and they got like a, you know, they just rented a bunch of stuff. And then that team actually created uh, from scratch their performance. So it was, it was a, a, like a, a neat, like, creativity sandwich where they were making something brand new to demonstrate the power of immersive theater to other artists. Um, it was just, uh, yeah, it was very fun to watch that uh, unfold uh, in the midst of what was, you know, a, you know, it's it kind of running on its own separate track, yeah. its own separate third rail. <laughs> well, and, and, and the people they contacted for the props just for like, you know, LA immersive theater trivia, uh, that was Jeff and Jarrett uh, to, to at the time Imagineers who were you know starting to like branch out and, and look at making their own work. They've become Scout Expedition Company and they're the guys who put on the nest. Um, and some of the some of the gags in in that show that was made like actually made it into the nest. So like parts of that production live on to this oh, day. Rad. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's it's it, that weekend had a huge Oh, it was awesome. That was yeah. probably the most fun I think I've ever had. We, I mean, we had so many great projects that came out of that beyond just spheres. Uh, Battle Scar came out of that accelerator. Um, a beautiful project called Testimony came out of that accelerator. Um, Tree, uh, uh, Winslow and Melitza's uh, mm-hmm. project came out of that accelerator. And the projects overall raised a lot of money. Uh, for, I mean, by immersive standards, I think uh, the projects collectively raised somewhere between three and four million dollars. That's yeah, a so huge amount of money by immersive standards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is, and including Spears, which is, I think, probably on the uh, narrative side, independent side, probably the most financially successful project that that raised. Uh, yeah, pretty close to one and a half million dollars just for that that production. Um, now that was all done under the, under the umbrella of Kaleidoscope, which is that's right, which is one of your two going concerns. So I wonder if you could tell the, the origin story of that and sort of like how the growth is because the funds originally started in there and, you know, we'll start the story at the beginning as it were. Kaleidoscope was started in 2014. Um, We, like a lot of folks saw the developer kit that Oculus was putting out as this really exciting uh, creative opportunity. Um, When we first got um, bit by the bug, very few people were talking about it as anything other than a gaming, gaming device. So we started a meetup in San Francisco that was explicitly exploring its narrative, storytelling, artistic potential. And from that, Kaleidoscope was birthed. Um, we did a the first VR film festival in 2015, and it was so... Uh, punk rock and its execution. We we got Samsung to lend us, though we never gave them back, uh, about 50 VR, Gear VR headsets. And they didn't want them back. Okay. They didn't want them back. Um, oh, they served us so well. We ran those things around the world. Probably tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people went through those headsets. Um, but, you know, so it was in this process, you know, we we're like, let's just, just do a festival to figure out who's making interesting work. Um, so we curated... Like 18 projects in in 20, 2015. Notes on Blindness was one of them, uh, which was when we first became friends with uh, uh, you know the, the team that would later become Atlas Five. Uh, a beautiful project by an artist named Mike Tucker. Tanapura was was part of that initial selection. So there's some really good projects 
that were being made even in those earliest days. Um, and in that in that process, we you know we traveled. We ended up traveling all around the world. We we um, did a world tour in 2016 in partnership with Wired Magazine, where we went to Europe and Asia, and we just talked to hundreds of artists all around the world. And most of them were excited about the uh, potential of uh, of VR. The, the the creative and technical challenges were there, but there were there were um, ones that um, felt. Uh, exciting to try to solve the problem that nobody had a good solution for and was honestly the most pressing was how on earth am I going to fund my work um, so yeah. we in 2016 we decided okay well let's make that our focus um, so we and that was where the dev lab accelerator that we were talking about earlier came from was that was sort of our, our first flag plant moment where we're like as an organization that's the thing we're going to care about um, and we starting with that accelerator um mostly uh, tackled that mission through private marketplace style events or accelerators where we would spend a lot of energy curating projects that we thought had artistic and commercial potential. And we would work with those projects to get them as shovel ready as possible, work with them to develop uh, presentations, demos, and then you know, it became our business to keep tabs on who was funding immersive projects. And we would just invite them to our events and demo and present the work, um, try to do it in an atmosphere that was um, uh, respectful of the artists um, and uh, sort of elevated everybody to uh, as a, a high uh, a level uh, as, as we could. Um, we think the context that people interact is so important for how they interact. So, you know, my, my wife is the creative director at Kaleidoscope. She always spent a tremendous amount of time making sure that our events took place in beautiful venues and that the work was dis, you know, displayed and exhibited in as thoughtful a way as possible. Um, so that was, that was kind of Kaleidoscope and that we were chugging along happily doing that. Uh, and then uh, the, the pandemic hit and events stopped happening. <laughs> and, um, and simultaneously, we saw how... Um, how much pain uh, the artists in our community were going through. We sent a, a survey out in February or March of last year, um, right when the pandemic was was you know you know shutting everything down, and seventy four percent of the artists in our community had lost the majority of their income, um, which you know I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this uh, understand that only too well. So we we felt compelled to do something. So we, um, we just duct taped together, uh, a basic, uh, uh, grant, uh, bit of software, um, where we, we said, let's, let's make th these micro grants where we can take, uh, sort of the goodwill of the community and crowdfund micro grants and then allow anybody in the community to submit projects to receive those micro grants and then allow the community itself to to fund those grants. And we, we did all of that. Not We just did it because it was the fastest, easiest thing that we could do. We knew that doing high quality curation is really time consuming um, and we just didn't have the time. So we're like, OK, well, let's let the community you know decide. Um, and that turned out to be a really powerful thing with a lot of really great side effects that we can talk about. Um, and then the same thing for like, the, you know, the funding, it's like we had a little bit of money that we put into the grants to seed them. But we knew that as an organization, you know, we didn't, we couldn't sustain that ourselves. So we, you know, said, well, let's, let's open it up 
to anybody in the community to help fund. Um, and we had had a lot of experience doing sponsorship sales for our events. So we thought, uh, you know, it's like there could be a nice gradient between corporations coming to sponsor these grants all the way to small dollar donations. And that was May of last year that we launched the grant uh, product. And uh, we could tell pretty early on that it was that two things. One is that it was <laughs> that it was doing really well in terms of people engaging with it. Um, and also that it was very um, uh, distracting to Kaleidoscope's sort of mission and business. So we, we decided to open source all that software and to create uh, a standalone uh, company that would be just for these artist grants. And that's where Artisan uh, has come from. Um, we launched that in February of this year. Um, it's, a, again, an open source project. Um, it's going to, we're in the process of transitioning it into a, a, a totally community-owned uh, company. Uh, I, I think we're probably going to do that via a uh, cooperative in terms of like the, the legal structure. Mm. But we really believe in, you know, not only the community deciding who wins the grants, but they should also own the platform itself and have uh, a voice in the governance of, of how that platform is built out. Um, I think all good software should allow their members to be owners. Um, and co-ops are a really interesting old legal structure that, uh, you know, allow you to do that. I, so. I, I, I so, I so love that there's, there's aspects of like the video game world, particularly in Europe, there's a few co-ops that exist, um, where like, it's an underutilized thing. They're so rad. Yeah. Nobody uses them, especially in like the tech spec, like, you know, area, like, you know, you think of co-ops, you think of like your corner grocery store or something. Or but, REI, um, right? Yeah. Or REI, yeah. <laughs> you forget that REI, is, everyone forgets REI is a co-op, right? You know. Probably the biggest, most successful one in the United States, though there's, you know, lots of other countries have, you know, huge co-ops um, that are a big part of their government. Like in New Zealand, um, which is where the, the organization is actually based, um, co-ops play a huge part of their, their economy. Uh, but they're mostly like uh, farmer co-ops or dairy co-ops and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know why we, as a, you know, people in the sort of the tech startup world haven't adopted that. Um, Weirdly enough, think, like you, yeah, you, like you'd think that it would be more popular because it it's like that missing link between, or that middle ground between like full on libertarian, like, you know, like, no, like I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, a more socialist like idea. It's like, look, we can only do this together, but let's all have a vote in how we do it together. Yeah. Um, so that's that's just, it's really exciting to me that you guys are adopting that format because I well, know- it's part of our whole ethos. I mean, again, we want we want the grants to be community owned and managed, uh, meaning that you know the community is putting the money in for the grants, uh, so the community should you know be the the folks that decide who wins the grants. Um, and yeah, why not apply that same ethos to the entire platform? So for, for someone on the, on the, the art side, who's, you know, going, oh, wow, micro grants, like, how does this work for them? Who's someone's got a project? Uh, Absolutely. So, um, right now, uh, you know, we've got about 10 grants on the platform. We are planning to scale that up, um, at least to a hundred grants by the end of the year. Um, if not, if not more than that. Uh, because, uh, you know, again, for folks that are listening, Kaleidoscope was, uh, uh, you know, and is focused entirely on VR and AR 
artists. Um, and artisan, on the other hand, we want to support um, artists working in any discipline. Um, so we, we envision launching, like literally before this started, I had a call with uh, a woman in Philadelphia who runs uh, a little art organization that's based on building community uh, for black women around uh, African ceramics. And that is a very niche uh, discipline, but it's such a cool one. And so, you know, I'm talking to her about starting a grant specifically to support uh, uh, black women who are doing ceramics. So I, I envision, you know, Kaleidoscope or not Kaleidoscope, Artisan uh, becoming a platform where if you're part of any artistic community, you or any, somebody from that community could raise their hand and say, I'm going to create a grant uh, that supports the artists in my community. And that community can be, you know, geographically bound. It can be um, bound by a particular type of discipline, like, you know, the immersive theater community. It could be uh, bound by, um, you know, your identity. So again, we, we have a, the Black Realities Grant, which is, you know, specifically for Black artists. Uh, you know, you can, you can kind of draw the box around how you define your community, however you like. And then you can create a grant that serves as a, a rallying point where, Everyone who cares about that type of work can say, uh, I'm going to support it with my time. I'm going to make a financial contribution. Or as an artist, I'm going to submit a project um, because uh, I think my, my work uh, fits inside that, that umbrella. Um, so if you are an individual artist and you want to get one of these micro grants, just go to Artisan, look through the grants that are available, see which ones your work um, is applicable for. Uh, and then uh, you create a project profile for, for your project on, on Artisan and then submitting it just takes like two seconds. You basically just say, this is my project and I want it to go to this grant. And that was super important for us because grant funding is kind of like if, if you were to, you know, diagram or map out all the different types of funding you can get as an artist, um, the best kind of funding is free money, right? Like just give me a fucking sack of cash and... <laughs> Yeah. Shut up and let me do what I want with it. And grants are kind of the closest thing you can come to that. Um, you know, they are, some of our grants are unrestricted, meaning, you know, you can just, here's the money, do what you want with it. Some of them have some restrictions on it, but it's pretty close to, to free money. Um, uh, but if anyone who's, who's gone through the grant writing process knows, it's super laborious. Like most grants take a tremendous amount of energy to fill out their paperwork. And it kind of feels like it's this own language and skill set that you oh, yeah. have to build out and it's it's there's, it's not fun there's a whole there's i mean there, I, i've worked in the nonprofit world my entire life and you know there are whole divisions inside something like the trust for public land of grant writers yep. you know i know because i used to like deliver their mail so you're sitting there going like wow um and and you know they 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 wind up often having like, you know, a, a fair degree of like legal knowledge because they understand this like complex bureaucratic world. But when you're particularly when you're uh, starting out as an artist and you don't have a team around you, it is the single most intimidating thing. It, you know, yeah. And it's it's something that actually skews the entire, it skews the art market, it skews the entertainment world. It means that if you if you aren't coming in with your own money, uh, the odds of you actually making something are really, really low. Um, yeah. And the, the the more steps there are between you and that that first tranche of cash, uh, the the odds of you getting started and doing anything beyond like you know garage theater or you know making making like a short on your iPhone 
are pretty low, or you wind up focused on whatever the commercial, you know, aspects are, you know, you, or, or suddenly everyone's like vlogging or chasing hype houses and all that sort of stuff. And maybe some of the folks who are, you know, making TikToks, they really would be preferred to be making short films, but here's what, you know, what they've got, you know, it's, it's the one possibility totally. for a career. Yeah. Yeah. And I, then notice, I mean, that's being, I come from, like, I think I mentioned, I come from a long line of struggling artists. Like I'm the fifth generation, uh, uh, artist. And I, consider myself an artist. I was a filmmaker for 10 years before I got into startups and design. And I kind of think about the way I run Kaleidoscope and Artisan as, you know, it's kind of like my art project. Um, So I I have only the utmost respect for folks that are able to hack together a living however they can with their art. Uh, But it is not ideal, right? Like I think the sort of the, 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 the steps to becoming financially independent as an artist you know, the first one is how do I just do any kind of commercial gigs that will pay my bills, um, which is great. But what you really want to do is get paid for your own work. And I think grants serve a really important function for giving you that breathing room to not have to take those contract gigs for, you know, three or six months uh, to uh, to have the space to develop um, your own work um, and have it be free of any of the financial constraints that you normally have to attach to your work. Uh, I think that's where you can really develop your voice as an artist. I think that's where you can figure out, uh, you know, what, what is going to resonate with an audience. Um, so I see grants as a really important step towards helping artists graduate to that next level where they're able to support themselves just from, from making the kind of art they want to make. And one, one of the things I want to point out for the process here of artisan because i you know and i probably disclosed this in the cold open like i i sit on the and one of the, the many people sitting on the transformations grant board and the transformations grant is is targeted at that kind of intersection of technology and performance right so that's that's the that's the little box that we drew around that one but what's been interesting about the process has been i mean first you have this incredible network of uh, creators and funders who you know you've been able to pull in uh, through through charm and guile to like, bring us all in to be part <laughs> of these processes and there's like a lot of familiar faces sitting on so many of these these uh, these grant boards but also the the process of, of working this out you know the initial version of it there you know the way it was working was you know in part of this was like you know the legacy of, of, of under kaleidoscope was like people would come in and there was a you know, you'd, you'd pay to buy, get into the ecosystem that would enable you to, you know, put in for grants that also give you a vote in what was going on. And sort of the, the system as it was going at first um, felt a little pay to play, but you've completely revised, at, at last check on my end, completely revised this process. Because now, if memory serves, you know, you don't have to pay to request in a grant. If anything, the paying into the system right now gives you votes. Am I right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, when we were first experimenting with it, we just put up a, a paywall that said you had to, yeah, I think it was like 20 bucks or something. You had to pay to submit, um, a project to the grant. Um, which mind you, and, just so everyone knows if you're not familiar with the, 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 the funding process in the world or like the submission process, having a submission fee isn't necessarily unusual. There's a lot. In fact, most festivals, in part to fund the people who are flipping through everything, have a, a festival fee. Um, so that's that's it's not unusual that that was the case. 
Uh, yeah, not unusual, which is why we started there. Um, and we wanted to set the expectation that if you're in a financial position to support these grants and you care about them, that you should. Um, and we, we um, you know, made it clear on all the grants that if you couldn't afford it, just write us and we'd give you a, you know, a free, uh, uh, a free pass basically to submit. Uh, but that was a bit inelegant and we got a lot of feedback, um, especially for some of the grants that were more explicitly targeting artists that were emerging, um, maybe artists from economically disadvantaged communities. Uh, so we, we decided that we would yeah, revamp that. And now all of our grants um, have a free tier of support. Um, we call it the, the, the fan level of support. And uh, if you, as long as you're, you know, subscribing to a grant at that free tier, you can submit projects. So if you're an artist and you want to submit something uh, uh, to, for instance, like the transformations grant, which is yeah, sort of supporting projects that are at the intersection of technology and performance art, uh, doesn't cost you anything. Um, you just go to Artisan, you create a profile for yourself and your project, and then you uh, submit it to that grant. Um, it provided you have your you know, materials together for your project, it's really something that should only take like 15 minutes as opposed to the hours and hours you would send, uh, spend uh, submitting to, to your typical grant. Yeah, we've seen some pretty interesting projects kind of pass through that grant uh, process and they're, they're coming from all over the world. And they're, they're, not, they're not taking any one specific shape. And that's been exciting for us because, you know, the people sitting on that board are like, you know, Lou Doy and myself and like Sam Roberts of IndieCade and Vallejo, a gardener, um, just like folks who see all kinds of things all the time. So, you know, the fun for us is, is finding something where it's like, we have not seen this combination of story and technology before. Like no one's tried this one. And that's, keeping in line with the transformations idea. Um, and so that's been a lot of fun. And, and then also watching the, the transition of, you know, the, the thing that I'm, I'm so excited about how responsive you guys have been to the boards, to the community feedback, and watching Artisan evolve into something that does really, not just in theory, but in practice, feels like it's community. Yeah, we uh, again we're, we're, we haven't finished the, the the formalizing of this, but we you know because we want to be thoughtful about how we do it. But our intention is that all the members of Artisan will be owners of the product and will um, have a, a a meaningful voice in the governance. Um, you know, most likely by like electing the board of directors for the the, the organization. Uh, as well as by, um, you know, being able to vote on like major uh, uh, new uh, product enhancements um, and, you know, uh, changing like our terms of service and things like that. Like all of that should be things that the the community itself um, decides. Um, and I think right now it's, um, yeah, that's, that's borne out just by being very, very, very uh, tuned in to feedback from the community um, about, you know, how should this product work? Um, we take uh, every bit of feedback we get, we um, put it into a document where we can see which are the features that, you know, most people are asking for. And, uh, and then we you know we solicit uh, thoughts from, you know, uh, key stakeholders, like board members on grants, etc. I mean, this is all sort of like best practices for building products. Anyways, we're just trying to be more overt and direct with it. And then formalize that by actually giving our, our community uh, 
uh, a real stake in it as opposed to just, you know, being tuned in and listening and trying to be, you know, good product developers in that regard. We want to actually, um, actually give people meaningful ownership. And that's, that's also for like the financial upside too. Like we, I think grants, I think grants are the best type of funding period. Uh, like again, gets back to what's the best type of funding for artists, free money, um, and grants check that box. Um, but if you look at the overall funding landscape, they, they account for like less than 1% of funding. Mm-hmm. And I see that as a huge opportunity. I think we, uh, can scale grants up to become the dominant for- source of funding for the arts because it's what artists want. Um, I think to do that, you just have to make the process of creating and running grants easy, uh, effective, and and profitable. Like running a grant shouldn't be a, a money suck. It should be something that actually uh, uh, generates money for the people who participate. Um, and if we if we do that then I think grants can become a, a dominant source of funding for artists. And I think this platform can get, can be a big, and if, if it does, the artists and uh, members in the community should be the ones who, you know, stand to do well, um, as opposed to how most tech companies are run, where it's, you know, just a handful of people that um, stand to, to benefit. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are thinking about these types of ideas uh, um, but it, it's, um, I think the old way of, of running startups where you just concentrate ownership in a handful of people is, I just think it's fucked up. I don't, I don't think it's right yeah. uh, for a whole host of reasons. No, I mean, there's, there's this constant, I don't know, like, you know, you, you're probably watching as much as I am, you know, you know, NFTs are blowing up huge right now. And, oh, and, huge, yeah. and, and all I see is like the, I mean, but they're also, they're literally like, you know, orbiting Sotheby's, right? Like they're blowing up huge because there was a big Sotheby's auction. And I'm like, this is just the art market again. Like, like it's all the problems with the big art market and everyone's like, oh, this is going to democratize. And it's like, but is it though? Like there's, it, it flows upward. You know, the, the person who spent $69 million on that, on, on the, the, the ownership rights on the, that collective of, of people or whatever yeah, the hell's name. People's, people's uh, yeah. yeah. 5,000 days. It was, it was somebody who, which a lot of that stuff is beautiful, by the way. Like, I'm not going to knock what people did uh, on that, like on the, the artistic merit of it. So, and that, I mean, actually that's the thing that maybe drives me nuts the most is like, we're not talking about the art. We're talking about the commerce around the art, you know, and, yeah. um, and everything gets reduced down to that as opposed to a model where the community is, pick in a, in a set up in a way that it can consistently pay it forward and consistently decree with its values. We want more art to exist. We're not here to like, we're not trying to like fund content so that we can get an ROI. We want the thing itself. We want the work. We want to experience the work. We want to see the work. We want to participate in the work and a co-op model, nonprofit models, things that build out the commons, uh, just do that in a more efficient fashion. Um, and, and that's what's been exciting about watching the evolution of this project over the past year, particularly with it happening in a time when, you know, so much, I, I guess there's this, this contradiction is that like, you know, the, the, the world as we knew it was completely fractured, but that the first instinct everyone had was to go to some version of mutual aid. Yeah. That's like, I, I forget that. 
too often, but that's actually something really beautiful. Like, almost, like so many people's first instinct was, what can I do to help? I've got yeah. a little more than, than, than the next person. What can I do to help? Yeah. 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 It was one of the, one of the bright spots of the last year was watching how communities rallied, how they came together to support one another. Um, it definitely was, there was something that was um, heartening about everyone being affected by something. I mean, not, not everyone was affected to the same degree. Obviously, the wealthy were able to insulate themselves from the impacts much more. But um, the fact that it was so universal uh, was um, important because I think it reminded reminded us of our common bonds. And that's what art does. You know, it reflects... It reflects who we are, or who we might become, and uh, you know, it reminds us of the things that uh, that we all share. You know, a heartbreak. Um, you know, the the joy of becoming a parent, or uh, the sorrow of saying goodbye to someone. Uh, you know, it's like there's the big important things that you're going to remember when you're dying. You know, that's that shit's all very very common, and art. Uh, uh, I think art is a, is a really effective way of, uh, of reminding us of our common humanity. Um, which is why I think art is, is, is not a luxury or, uh, a, you know, it's, it's not some trivial thing. I think art is, is essential, um, because art, um, reprograms culture and, uh, you know, culture is the operating system that civilization runs on, right? That yeah. culture is what, is what determines how humans interact with each other and the planet at scale. And um, so, and right now we have a, you know, a very sick culture. Like we have a, we have a broken culture in so many ways. Our, you know, our culture is, we live in a culture of excess, you know, that, that is distracted by materialism and nationalism. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problems that we face right now, uh, humanity faces, they're global problems, right? Like the, the exist, you know, the extinction level threats of, of nuclear war, uh, environmental collapse, and radical new technologies like uh, AI and bioengineering, like all these things, they only get solved at the global level. And and, and until we change our culture to um, foster, uh, you know, loyalty to your fellow man and the planet. Uh, you know, we're just we're just still going to get limited by our our narrow concerns of uh, of of me and mine and and what's what's nearest to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think art is th- the most effective way to shift that culture and uh, to to change how how you know humans decide to interact with each other uh, at a global scale. So I I I I, I see. I see artists as playing a an essential role in in, in bending the arc of, of history towards a, a bright mm-hmm. future that we'd all want to live in and we'd want our children to live in. So I, I see the mission of funding art as as not a you know not a relaxed like you know art is is a great thing to have because it brings joy and all that jazz which it does. But I I think it's um, I think it's again essential for our survival. I think we have to figure out new ways to fund art. Uh, and fund it at a much, much greater scale than uh, than we've been able to do to date. Dollar for dollar, you know, if someone manages to fund an effective piece of, of culture, it can have this outsized impact. 
on the way society itself functions, right? Like this is, in, in some ways, this is like the great game of humanity at, at, at yeah. the highest level, right? And one of the things that's been interesting about, <laughs> I, I last week I like thoroughly depressed myself by watching like the first four parts of the new Adam Curtis documentary. And like, I was like, oh, I'm not in the middle space for this right now. Uh, and parts of it were utterly, fa- like the first couple episodes were utterly fascinating. As it went on, I was like, I'm really depressed by this. I can't do this right now. It was also the anniversary of lockdown. I'm like, I can't, really can't do this right now. But this, the, seeing the tension between you know, mass capital and mass democracy and seeing the tension between the way culture, um, you know, the, the amount of power that's rooted in, you know, mass movements and popular movements and, and you know, collective action and how that's often um, put into conflict with entrenched forms of power. I also just watched Judas and the Black Messiah last night, which was like pretty also solid and kind of like, and since so much of it is about like, you know, the, the resonances coming out of the 60s are still with us. The the inherent tensions, it, it's, it, I'm in this space where like I'm, I'm very conscious of all the stuff that's sort of embedded into our institutions. Um, all the stuff that was sort of flash frozen in place in the early 70s, like right before I was born and, and Mm-hmm. kind of going through a, a, a reacquaintance with that stuff and being like, oh yeah, everything was kind of set up for disaster right when you arrived, boy. And I'm like, <laughs> that's that's wonderful. And by which I mean, this is terrible. But like seeing that there are still these hinge points and seeing, often seeing like how, how strong of a reaction entrenched power has to these natural coalescings of, you know, sort of people-powered movements. And so many of them, so, so often that power is trying to disrupt the infrastructure stage of those movements, right? Sure. Like they, yeah. they disrupted the Black Panthers before they could become a cultural institution in Los Angeles, Oakland, and Chicago. Yep, um, yep. The, well, that is w- yeah. why I think the, the crypto space is so exciting for me mm. uh, as as problematic as, you know, the environmental impact is and, um, you know, legitimate questions about, you know, are we just replicating uh, the similar dynamics we have in the traditional art world? You know, all that set aside, if you get to the promise of, uh, you know, what permissionless building allows, um, you can circumvent those power structures uh, in, in a way that um, is very, very hard to, you know, to fight against uh, for governments or for any uh, entrenched power system. Uh, I'm sure they'll, you know, they, and they already have found and, uh, you know, look for lots of ways to, to rein it in. But I think that's, I, th- I that's, that's the promise of it anyways, mm-hmm. that, that I think is, is, is super exciting. Um, and um, that does give me, uh, cause cause for hope um, is that you know with blockchain technology you can you don't need to ask anybody's permission to build a thing or to make a thing uh, and those things that you make whether it's art or uh, you know uh, a new product or platform that can change how people uh, live and interact and you know conduct their, their, their business. And that is hugely revolutionary, right? Like if a bunch of people say, we just don't like the way the current system works, we're going to build our new one. 
and you can't really stop us. Like you can more or less do that with, uh, you know, that's the promise of blockchain stuff. Yeah. Anyways, of course, you know, as we found, you know, I don't know how many people know this, but uh, Ross Ulbricht, who started this, the uh, Silk Road, is was uh, is one of my best friends, uh, and you know, and the government found certainly a way to to stop that. I mean, he's serving uh, two life sentences without the chance of parole. Um, so I, you know, it's very personal for me, the ability for, uh, folks to be able to consenting adults, to build things, make things, do things that, uh, power structures can't interfere with easily. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing in the moment we are with, with the chain, you know, on the one hand, like the, the environmental impact of the, of the proof of work model, um, if it continues to get a lot of, there, there's the incentives, the incentives for going green with that or shifting proof of stake, like just don't seem like they're they're high enough right now, at least for the people who are maybe benefiting the most, um, because you know if you're if you're an oligarch who holds a bunch of coin or you're you know a cartel that's holding a bunch of coin because you don't want to get taxed. You know, you want to keep your your money outside of government hands because what you're doing might be illegal. There's there's also, also like really no incentive, like oh yeah, but like let me make sure that I'm green here, right? Like that those incentives aren't necessarily in there uh, if you're going to be making more and more money. Like the higher Bitcoin in particular goes up, the less incentive there is for yeah, but like the energy cost is so much. It's like yeah, but who cares? Like I'm going to make gajillions of dollars. I can pour whatever I want into this. Yeah. Or even just the way like all the GPUs get sucked into there when they could be going into VR headsets, right? You know, like that's yeah. that's one that drives me, me the most insane is just like, no, I can't get a good I mean, I, I got one, but like, you know, a lot of people can't get a good video card right now because of this stuff. And so, yeah. so these there's aspects of that, like the, the actual what's actually happening is just like kind of a freaking mess. And like watching people like, you know. You know, when all of a sudden all of the, um, oh, what do they call them? Like the Shark Tank folks are like, oh, I got to get into crypto. It's like, oh, it's the old world is coming for us. You know, just the same. You know, it's 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 just the replication of what happened when we went off the gold standard. And so it, there is a question of like, you know, who's playing? I think the idea of, but the idea of something like blockchains, right? Like this this idea like, oh, this chain over here is powering this. Like it, you keep things kind of truly distributed and you understand kind of who's buying in, who's got the stake in this market, who's got the stake in this community and how it's transacting. Then I see those positive effects going. Um, yeah. But it's, it's so much of it though is as much about how the social part of it is going as what the technology, what is the technology affording people to do, but also how is the association going? And right now, you know, all the, the focus on anonymity in crypto, um, which totally has its uses and, you know, can definitely be used against entrenched power structures. It also doesn't necessarily lend itself to kind of, you know, uh, some of that more collective, you know, like enlightened self-interest action that can happen in something like a co-op, right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. reminding people that, you know, they're, they're not isolated and that the, the externalities of their actions have real meaning. And if someone puts money into, 
I, I am my brain jumps around. I warned you, nonlinear. Like one of my favorite stories in Roy Choi of Kogi. He's the Kogi truck guy. Like there's there's a great story in this cookbook uh, about the way the Korean community in Los Angeles operates, and it's um, you know, and it's how his parents got a, a restaurant back in I think like the early '80s. In that the community like pours in money into a fund. It has a technical name that I can't remember at the moment. And then every every month or every so often, the community gets together and says, "Okay, who who's got a project? Who's got a business that they want to start that we think they're going to be able to pull it off? Great, you get the money. Here's your seed money. Go make your business, and you will pay it forward." Right, like that that's is, so rad. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's that's the cultural and th- these sorts of structures have been particularly, I think, in immigrant communities, often do this. Yep. Um, and it's such a it's efficient. It's an efficient way of organizing a, a community and something like you know these sorts of focus where like you can see the effects. I think the biggest problem we have. This is me talking on my ass, but right now I think the big one of the biggest problems we have is people not being able to see the positive externalities of working within a community. It's yeah. the same as like we don't see the negative externalities of being part of a market system because, you know, I don't see the land devastation. Like I don't get a picture yeah. with my hamburger and I eat meat. So like I'm being fully hypocritical here. I don't get a picture of the acre of rainforest that was destroyed in order for me to have a burger at the Linkster, right? And if yeah. I did every time one probably like i'm not going to do anything because i want to see those pictures right but like not being like that we can hide stuff yeah um that we we can put it out of mind yeah um it it, that also depowers us right you know we're not we're not acting consciously we're not we're not being allowed to make a rational choice and then we're being told oh but you're a rational actor in the marketplace yeah, mm, but I don't have all the data in front of me. Someone obscured the data. Um, not that necessarily you want that picture with that burger every time because it would it would drive you you nuts if you did. But that's also maybe the point. Um, so yeah, I, but I yeah I, I guess when it comes to like the the chain, I'm still so deeply ambivalent because I can see all the good it can do, and I can also see all the externalities that are happening in real time, and I'm just like will will the inertia which who will win that inertia fight you know yeah um yeah well it's it's i mean i i think it's technology is the driving force right now yeah right like it's it just gives individuals so much leverage and you if if you have an opinion and care about the future that we all live in I think the best thing to do is to engage with technology, right? Like to, because uh, only by engaging it and being part of the conversation, uh, giving your support to platforms that align with what your ethics are, you know, that's how you can bend it and and have uh, have it curve in a less dystopic uh, future. Uh, my my wife Selena, you know, she. Uh, often wonders why I spend a lot of my time thinking about stuff like, uh, you know, sort of deep tech stuff, um, given that like my focus is on art and it's because, um, because I think you have to engage with wherever, you know, 
the, the things that are going to have the biggest amount of impact and, and technology is that thing right now for us. And I guess it has been for a long time. Uh, so yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think you can ignore what's happening in NFT. I don't think you can wish away blockchain based on valid moral arguments. You, you have to, you have to build something better, right? You have to, if you think it's falling short, it's up to you to uh, fix those, plug those holes, and and uh, you know raise your voice and, and and but do more than that. I think you have to build, you have to make, you have to create. So if you're an artist and you care about that stuff, uh, don't avoid NFT for that alone. But you know find some of the platforms that are you know overtly focused on doing it in a sustainable, more eco-friendly way. Uh, I think that's that's smarter and and similar for you know for how we're planning to do engage that stuff at artisan like we we don't want to rush into anything because you know we want to be really thoughtful with how we do it but it's definitely top of mind and has been for two or three years actually ever since crypto kitties in i don't know 2017 or whatever i've been thinking about how do we you know i gave a talk at south by southwest i think in 2018 that basically outlined you know more or less you know the power of uh, of nfts for, for art uh and uh, but it, you know, to get it right takes a lot of time. So we, we we're definitely wanting to incorporate the 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 upsides of things like NFTs into artisan uh, to give people the ability to have ownership uh, ownership stake into the work that's funded. That's all really exciting, but it's not going to happen quickly. We're not going to we're going to rush into it. We want to be very deliberate and thoughtful uh, about what we build, um, so that we don't have those. Uh, you know, want to minimize the negative externalities because uh, when you're building complex systems, it's they're complex. It's yeah. so difficult to know uh, what emergent properties are you're going to have, um, and uh, uh, yeah. And I think what we're seeing a lot of is just people throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And you can get some really interesting outcomes that way, but you can also create some <laughs> some some stuff that uh, is is dangerous or harmful or you know bad for the world yeah um, so I, I, I don't know I, in general i think people should slow the fuck down with everything i think <laughs> oh yeah i think well, we're all moving way too fast yeah uh, and being thoughtful with what we do well and, and that's and that is like sort of the the, the technology does kind of like wind up running away and no one wants to be in, in control of, of this stuff uh at a certain point um and 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 you get that moment of like you know oh whoever moved first has this like massive advantage because no one knows what they're doing and um but 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 on the flip side you know to get back to the concept of art now i'm gonna let you go in a second here uh i'm just gonna go oh like we're in it now uh we can do this for hours and we neither of us have time for it um the, just the idea that you know beyond the sense of you know monetary value when people are making work when people are creating art of value, it gets down to making meaning. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- this idea, there's kind of a very existential thing at the core of art, which is, you know, the art we make, the art we engage with, it's, it's, it's how we make meaning in our lives. It's how humans have always made meaning in our lives. And when someone makes something that is of, of a deep meaning that resonates with people, you know, that can that can bend culture, society, and markets, you know, just as effectively as 
you know, the tools that were made to use it. And indeed, often whatever tool set was used to make that thing often becomes a, a fetishistic object for, for folks, you know, whether that is, you know, a Super 8 camera, uh, an iPhone, or, you know, a particular flavor of blockchain. When something great gets made, everyone wants to pick up that tool and try mm-hmm. to make it. And mm-hmm. so that's why, you know, the art side of it is absolutely critical. Couldn't, couldn't agree more and a good good place to end it. Um, if you've been listening to this and you're excited about anything that I've said, feel free to get in touch with me. You can write me at renee at artisan.fund, R-E-N-E at uh, artisan spelled like uh, uh, artisanal mashed up with citizen. So A-R-T-I-Z-E-N dot fund. Uh, love for you to submit work to any of our grants, um, especially the transformation grants, which Noah's uh, sitting on the board of if you're doing anything in performing arts or uh, tech that is you know merging those two things, please submit. If you want to create a grant that uh, can support the artists in your community, please reach out to me. Uh, we will work with anybody that is excited about uh, creating a new grant to support uh, the art artists in, in your community. Uh, it doesn't take much time couple hours you get one uh set up on on the platform uh so do hope to, to hear from y'all and uh happy to have another one of these conversations in the future no this was a lot of fun yeah we should do this more often. Right. thank you so much renee absolutely man take care Once again, I want to thank Renee Pinnell for being our guest on the show. And yes, we'll have Renee back on before too long. We're going to make up for that. Uh, Please, please go check out artisan.fund. All right. You know, and uh, and maybe get involved with one of the grants. There's there's a number of grants in there that are are truly excellent. Uh, I mean, all of them are truly excellent, but there's a number of them that are like, you know, near and dear to us, right? You know, I set the board of the Transformations Grant, there's the the Black Realities Grant, there's uh, the Femme Futures Grant, there's all all this really amazing work that's being funded through these community grants. And, you know, it's, it's not just money from the community that's coming through, obviously. There's also... Um, there's also money coming in from organizations and it's just, it's, it's a lovely way to keep this going and a really good model. And, um, we expect to see some more, uh, coming through using the tool in not too long. Also check out, uh, check out Kaleidoscope, which is, uh, the, the company that kind of kicked this all off. You can find Kaleidoscope at kaleidovr.com. That'll of course be in the show notes. Check it. there's no rant today because there's too much to do but remember once you check out the spring fling all right go go see what we're up to come on through we want to see your shiny face uh if you can't make it uh to all of it but you know you want to you want to be tapped in in a real way please see if you can make it to uh the, the the free sessions that i talked about at the start of the um of the show all right, uh, whether that's the Zoom sessions or you know, f- you know, bouncing around in, in Clubhouse, um, we are gonna. Uh, there'll be an episode next week. It's gonna be loose and chill uh, because I am <laughs> wild and fried right now. And then uh, we will. There'll probably be a bi-week 
coming up in in a couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll there'll be a week where I take a week off just because I need to slow down. Uh, but there's plenty of stuff uh, coming up in the future. And uh, one of the things I'm really excited about is that late on Sunday, the last thing I'm going to do on Sunday is there's going to be kind of a, a session that's kind of a couple of sneak peeks. And maybe I'll be able to like wedge a few more things in uh, over the course of the weekend. But we're going to have that kind of kind of a preview session and talk about what's coming at the end of the day on Sunday. All right, that's it for me. Let us do the part of the show where uh, I say everybody's names. <laughs> Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Chris, who has a new podcast that he's written coming up soon. Got to get the name for that so I can plug it here. Uh, I just remembered because uh, he posted on, on the internet the other day. Everybody tell everyone. Remember to tell everybody. Uh, this is standing backers of No Persinium, the people who make this show possible at all are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all so much. Uh, I hope to see you at the fling. And until then, thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>